Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to River Run. Um, I am Caleb. You know me. I was here last week. If you weren't here last week, I'm Caleb. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, and a part of the team here teaching. And uh, we are in this series, Let's Fall in Love with the Word of God. Let's fall in love with His Word. Um, and, and just before we move into it, and this is risky, but worship had me all stirred up in my heart. Um, because we'll only fall in love with His Word if we fall in love with Him. We'll only be in awe of His Word if we're in awe of Him. We only believe in the power of His Word if we believe in the power of Him. And that's the person of Jesus Christ who reveals the nature of our God. It's Him. Um, so I'm going to pray as we go into the message. And, but I want to pray and just right off of that last song. Because I know that in this room... We talk about addictions, we talk about worries and fears, we talk about uh, health challenges we're facing in physical bodies, our emotional and mental beings, all kinds of challenges we're facing. It talks about all the darkness and the dark spaces of our lives. And here's the reality of what the scriptures tell us about the person of Jesus Christ, is that he is able to save and heal and restore and rescue us. Um, and I'm, I'm here, I like, I, I've shared my story here before. I've had addiction that owned my life, abuse and pain from my childhood that owned my life, and Jesus rescued me. He made me a new person. He, he changed everything about my life. I was really tangled up in hypocrisy and a fake version of Christianity that I was just going through the motions all the time, and I was dead inside, and Jesus rescued me, and he brought me to life. And so I know in this room, there's all that kind of stuff in here amongst our hearts. And so what I want to just pray right off that song is I want to speak the name of Jesus just like we just sang about. And I want to pray for that. And whatever it is in your life, whether that be addiction, a stuck place in your life, a brokenness, a relationship, a hopeless place, health issues, whatever it might be, let's just bring it to Jesus and invite him into it. So Lord Jesus, um, as I get ready to teach, this is your word. And I really pray that I would be faithful with it and steward it well. But Lord Jesus, we welcome you to continue to do what you're already doing. And we speak your name, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the rescuer of the imprisoned, the healer of the broken. We speak the name of Jesus and we welcome you in your power to do what only you can do in our lives. That our life in you is not just now a version of our best efforts may be blessed by you, but our life is now defined by your decisive act in history and the cross and your eternal authority in our lives by the work of your spirit. So Jesus, I pray that our community, our family, would be marked by your power and your presence in our life. And Lord, I pray that be true as well about the next 30 minutes that I get out of your way and you would speak what you desire to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are talking about um, falling in love with God's Word. And in week one of this year, really, January 8th, we had a message where I was talking about this discontinuity between what many in the church and our culture say about the Bible and the way we relate with the Bible. That we would say, the Bible is God that created the universe, inspired this book. These words are God's words for us, and we don't read it. And how that just doesn't make any sense. How in the world can I say both of those things in a sentence? I believe this is God's Word and I don't read it. I choose not to read it. And so during this series, we've been leaning into that because we recognize we want to be a community that treats the Bible like we believe that. We have some barriers to it. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tyler talked about the reality that we can trust the Bible. 
And last week I leaned into the reality that we need the Bible. If we are going to live the life Jesus calls us to, if we're going to live the life God has designed us for, then we need this. We cannot live this life without it. But this week and next week, we're leaning to the third barrier, which is, well, yeah, okay, I do trust it. I do recognize I need it, but I don't get it. I don't get it. And if you feel that way, let me comfort you with this reality. You are not alone. If you ever open up the Bible to try to flip open and read devotions and you read and you thought that was a waste of 10 minutes because I only understood three of those words and they weren't connected to each other. You're not alone. It's, it's okay to recognize, look, I didn't get anything out of it. So this week we're going to look at how do we get the most out of the Bible that we read. And next week we're going to talk about what's the story the Bible is telling. Um, so I want to encourage you to be here for that and, and stay engaged with this series. But the Bible is a lot of things. It's sacred. It's, it's different than anything else we have in many ways. But one thing is, it is an instrument, like an instrument or a tool. Now, I, there's different things like that. So, like if we had an artist's paintbrush and paints and canvases, and we passed them out into every, to everybody in here, you would all have a paintbrush, paints, and a canvas. But would we all produce the same quality out of that? No. Let me tell you what mine would look like. You would think I did not try. I would have tried so hard with all my energies and all my best efforts. And you would look and you would think, did Caleb do that? Or is this from the preschool class? That's what you would wonder. All right. It's this tool, this instrument for which I have no training. I've never developed a skill of using it. And so though I have access to it, I don't use it well. Power tools. I'm the same with power tools. I can own power tools. That's what I can do. And that is about the end of it, all right? So you put power tools in my hands, they are vastly different in their value experience than power tools in some of y'all's hands who know what you're doing because you've been trained to use it. You know the purpose of each of those tools. My, I used to work with my grandfather. He was an electrician, and he would send me to his truck. My greatest fear was he'd send me to his truck with the name of a tool. And I would open the back of his truck, and there's 10,000 things that all could be that to me, because I don't know any of it, right? Completely unfamiliar, completely untrained, so though I have access to it, I never knew how to use them. And in a lot of ways, the Bible is like that for us, right? Now, we all have different levels of, like, talents when it comes to, like, reading or writing or whatever it might be. I recognize that. But God, in His brilliance, has made the Bible accessible to all of us. And yet, just like with any instrument or any tool that we all have access to, it ends up having—we ha have one of three relationships. We either don't use it, we use it poorly— or we use it well. We don't use it, we use it poorly, or we use it well. And, and every instrument that we can buy, every tool we can buy, falls in one of those three categories. And the Bible falls in those three categories for us. See, biblical illiteracy is not knowing what the Bible says, not knowing what's in the Bible. In many parts of the world, still to this day, the reason for biblical illiteracy is not having access to it. There are countries, there are cultures in this world that the Bible is not yet translated into the language that they learned as a child. There are many places in the world where you can't get Bibles. There aren't bookstores, and Amazon doesn't deliver there. And you can't get Bibles in your language for you to read. And so there's illiteracy because of that. But in cultures like ours, 
It's not an access issue, it's a usage problem. Because we've all got them. But what do we do with them? And so what I want to do is we're going to do two messages in one, which means hang on tight. All right, the first little bit, I'm going to give you four steps that have been really helpful, four parts of, for me that have helped me engage the Bible and get the most out of it, to use it well the way it's designed to be used. And then we're going to practice that in Philippians. All right, so hang on tight, buckle up, let's go. All right, so four steps to help you get the most you can out of the Bible to use it well. And obviously we could talk about this for hours and hours, and I'd love to, but I can't right now because I'll get in trouble. So here's what we're going to say. Number one is prepare to read. Prepare to read. All right, now what do I mean by that? Well, there's two basic questions that will really help you get the most out of whatever you're reading. That's preparing to read by answering two questions. Number one, where in the world are we? So when I open up my Bible, where in the world is that page of the Bible at? And we'll talk about that a little bit. But basically, the Bible is God's Word, but it also was written to real people at real times in history. So when I open up a book like, let's say, Leviticus, where in the world am I when I'm opening up that page? Where did that page first show up? Well, it showed up to the people of Israel in the wilderness, having just come out of Egypt, standing by Mount Sinai, where God, a volcano God, has been sitting up on top of this mountain and just moved into this little tent that's right across the street from you. And you're wondering, how in the world do I live in relationship with that fiery God? And you're in the ancient Near East, where there's all kinds of idol worship and other cultures, and you have a lot of questions about it. So where in the world are we? And a second question to try to answer, to prepare to read, is where in the story are we? The story of the Bible is there is movement in the story of the Scriptures. There are times where you're back in the cosmic creation times, and then there's times where you're wandering around with migrant tribal communities called patriarchal communities. Then there's times where Israel is inside of their promised land with a great king like David. Then there's times that they're in civil war or in exile far away. Then there's times where Jesus the Messiah is walking around the streets and healing people. Then there's times where the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon those who trust in Jesus, and they're trying to live as churches in all kinds of cities. There's movement in the story of the Bible. So preparing to read, one way to kind of maximize what we get out of it, is to take a little time to think, when I open up this book I'm reading, where in the world am I? And where in the story am I? And I want to give you just a—you're saying, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, here's a, a few resources, but before I even mention these, I'll say this. Number one, if you have a study Bible, if you don't have one, I encourage you to get one that has introductions at the start of each book of the Bible. If you go there, you'll find in the introductions of your study Bibles, they will often be answering those two questions. Where in the world are we? And where in the story are we? And it will help to equip us to get the most we can out of it. So one step is preparing to read. Now I've got a few sources on here, bibleproject.com, or you can look for them on YouTube. Unbelievable source. Use it. When you're going to start reading the next book that you're working through in the Bible, watch. They'll have a video about that book. It'll help you know where in the story are you, where in the world are you, and what's that, how's that book work together. This is another book we recommend a lot. I recommend a lot. How to Read the Bible Book by Book by Fee and Stewart. You can find it on Amazon for like 25 bucks. And that's got really good intros for each book. Where in the world are we? Where in the story are we? And then Emmaus, 
I work with Emmaus. I'm the director. So free plug right now. All right. Uh, but uh, Emmaus is a local uh, is a ministry I lead here. That We have a team of teachers. We have local classes available and a school that goes all year long to help people really immerse themselves in the world of the Bible and the story of the Bible. And so these are different things that are available to help us do that. All right. So this first part, very practical. Prepare to read the Bible. Treat it like it matters. Prepare to read it. So that's number one. Number two is pray before you read. Prepare to read and then pray before you read. Now you could say that's part of preparing. Yeah, it is, but it's a second P and it sounds so cool. Pray, prepare, right? Doesn't it sound good? Say yes, Caleb. Yeah, look at that. You all just said, wow, what authority. You all just said yes. That's amazing. All right, pray before you read. I love this from Nicky Gumbel. He's a pastor in the UK. He might be quoting someone else, but he says this. The Bible is the only book whose author is always present with you every time you read it. Amen. All right, now we do recognize, like I was just saying, that every book in this has a human author that God is working through to communicate that book. But ultimately, God is the source of this word. So imagine that you're reading Lord of the Rings and Tolkien is sitting there, right? Right with you. And imagine reading the book and never asking, can you help me understand this? You'd be like, what are you doing, you nerd? Caleb, what's wrong with you? Ask the author for help in understanding their work. So pray before you read. The inspirer, the, the source of every word of this book is always with me whenever I read it. What a gift. Why miss that? And we know that God, and I'll encourage, God wants to help us understand what matters from the Bible that we read. He really does. He's a present God who wants to help us. Paul, the apostle who, who wrote Philippians, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, when he wrote to Ephesians, the Christians in Ephesus, he prayed for them. And his prayer for them was, I pray that you would receive from God the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would know God more. I pray that your eyes would be opened up so you'd understand. See, Paul, they had their Bibles, their Old Testament. They had Paul's sermons. Yet he prays and says, I pray that God will help you understand. I pray that God will open up your eyes to see. I pray that God will give you understanding of himself and the hope of the gospel. That's what his prayer is. So number one, prepare to read. And number two, pray before you read. All right, so now we're opening our Bible. So I just did that. Caleb said, pray. Okay, God, help me, please. The Bible's really hard for me to read, and please help me. And then I open it up. Now what do I do? So the, the third and fourth step are really how to read itself. So third is read for understanding. And this is important, because in the era of Bible in a Year plans, which I love, big advocate for it, in the era of 15-minute devotionals that we can, we can get online, subscribe to, which, again, big fan. But what can happen is that instead of reading for understanding, we read for completion, right? Instead of reading for understanding, we read for completion. And that's not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is understanding truth, not completing my assignment. And my parents gave me when I was in high school a one-minute study Bible. You guys heard that, right? One minute. That means on the side, it literally had 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And my goal was to try to finish it in 58. Like I wanted to beat the timer of reading through my verses for the day. 
That's great. It's better than nothing, but that's not the purpose of the Bible. And so what that means is the Bible is much better engaged, not with a stopwatch in your hand, but with a journal in your hand. The desire is to notice things and seek to understand the things that matter from the passages I read. So we want to do that. And, and so I got a few questions that you can use to help think about that, to try to seek understanding. The little things you could write down in your journal as you're reading through your paragraph or your chapter for that day. So here's a few questions to consider. When you think about the people right there in the world it was in, so the Israelites in the wilderness reading Leviticus or hearing Leviticus for the first time, well, what are they learning about God? In the New Testament, what are they learning about Jesus? What are they learning about the Holy Spirit? They, right there, what's being communicated to them in their world at that time in the story? Secondly, to consider, well, what are they learning about humans, people? What are they learning about themselves and their neighbor? Like, what are they learning about people in this? Regarding our nature, regarding our identities, our values. And thirdly, well, what are they learning about walking in God's ways. Meaning, what are they learning about how to, is there, are they getting commands or instructions? Are they getting an example to follow? Are they getting warnings or rebukes, which is like basically you're in troubles? Are they being shown something as a bad example? What are they learning about what it looks like to follow God? And those are the kinds of questions that we want to consider if we're not just seeking to complete our assignment, but to understand the truth is to consider, what does this mean? Why is it said? So that's the third thing, is read for understanding. And I do want to encourage you, as you think about being a Bible reader in your life, let's say you've set aside three days a week, you spend 30 minutes. I want to encourage you, don't read through the finish line of your 30 minutes. Read for 20, and then think about it for 10. If you've got 15 minutes, don't sprint through the 15 minutes to see how many verses can I get in in 15 minutes. Come on. Instead, read for 10 and think for five about what we just read. Because when we read the Bible, God's designed it for us to seek understanding, not just to complete our verses or our chapter for the day. All right, and if, you, if you're like, oh man, Caleb's looking at me. No, I'm looking at me, okay? I'm looking at me with this. The Bible is designed to be sought, to seek understanding, not complete assignments. And lastly, the fourth thing is read to be changed. Again, four basic steps that will really help to maximize what we're getting out of the Bible when we engage with it. Prepare to read by reading that little intro in your study Bible or getting that book I mentioned or watching the Bible Project's video, which are about eight minutes long usually. And then start reading through that book. And when you read prayerfully, you're seeking to understand, not just get it done. And I'm seeking to be changed. Read the Bible to be changed. The goal of engaging with the Bible is transformation, not information. Transformation, not information. So what that means is Bible memory is so good. Memorizing verses. But like if I read Philippians 1, the goal isn't that I just remember the words that are there. The purpose God gave it to me for is that I would be changed by it. And what that means is that when I read the Bible, it's best engaged with when I don't just read with my brain, but I read with my heart and my hands. 
What are the ways I'm feeling and thinking that need to change? What are the ways I'm acting and speaking that need to be changed and challenged by this scripture? See, God is not concerned, and this is the reflection of this reality, that God is not concerned with making you and me smarter. That's not God's intention. He doesn't want to make us smarter. He wants to make us better. And don't get caught up in that. By better, I mean more like him and more like who he's created us to be as his image bearers. So when I read the Bible and I think, okay, I'm going to read a chapter so I can get it done. I'm going to read for completion and I'm going to read for information. I am sitting there and God is there with me and we have two different goals. But the best way to read the Bible is to join God in what his goal is in my time with him in the word. So I seek understanding and I read to be changed. And so here's some questions. You can write these down, but they're also in the worship guide. You can look at them later on. These are just a few that you could use to challenge yourself to think, all right, what if I lived this? What if I let it challenge me? So here's a few. Number one, did the Holy Spirit highlight anything to my heart? Meaning as I read, did like something just jumped off the page and I couldn't stop thinking about that verse or that word or that line. And then think, why might that be? And as you think why that might be, you'll probably run into one of these other three questions. How does this passage that I'm reading, how does it affect my view of God, my view of Jesus, my view of the Holy Spirit? How does it challenge that? And the third one, how does it affect my understanding of my own value, my identity, my purpose, or my understanding of my neighbors and families and classmates and coworkers' value and identity and purpose? How does it challenge the way I think about people, including myself? And then lastly, how am I challenged to respond in action? And that's typically going to be one of these two things, obedience or repentance. So is there anything in this passage that really challenges me to do something different, to speak something that I need to do, to, to act in a certain kind of way, or to stop acting or speaking in a certain kind of way, which is repentance. That means turning and acting a different way or speaking a different way. So those are just some basic ways to think about it. So there's four steps. Prepare to read. Pray before you read because the, the source is right there with you. The author is with you. Thirdly, read to understand, not just complete it. And fourth, read to be changed. Read to be changed. And then read it again. And then read it again. All right, so we're going to practice this for just a few minutes. i got 10 minutes right now, and we're going to practice this with Philippians 4.13. I choose that because it's a verse that when I first learned that verse, I primarily saw it on T-shirts and coffee mugs and wall hangings. Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Look, I quoted it wrong. All right, but that's how I, so, so there's two ways to engage with that verse. One is as an isolated verse on my T-shirt, right? Or at the top of my journal where it got printed there, or even in a devotional where that verse is right here. But that's not the best way to get the most out of reading that verse. Because Caleb just said, I want to prepare to read, pray before we read, read to understand, and read to be changed. So, okay, we're going to do this for 10 minutes, which means we're not going to do it. But I'm going to go really fast, all right? So one way we could use it is this. 
And here's how I used to isolate it. This verse could mean a lot of things, but I took it to mean, just like many have, it means I will win. If I write this on my shoes from a basketball game, I will win. If I, if I write this on my loafers as I go in an interview, I will get the job. I will win the competition. I will win the spelling bee. I will get the girl. Whatever it is, I'll win, I'll win, I'll win. It's a scripture that takes me to the mountaintops of life. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what we could say it means. All right, now, let's press into how we can read it. So when we want to read for understanding and to be changed, first we say, well, where are we in the story? In Philippians is a letter. It's a part of the Bible that is after Jesus has come and lived and died and been resurrected again. After he's left to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of people who believe in him. These letters are written by leaders in churches to help churches know what they need to know about Jesus and walking with him and how to represent him to their homes and their communities. This is a letter In this specific letter of Philippians, Paul is writing it from a a prison in Rome, house arrest really. And he's writing it from there, chained to a Roman soldier day in, day out, never leaving a house that he's imprisoned in. And he's writing it to Christians in a city called Philippi. And if you read in the intro of your Bible, you'd find that Philippi, not a huge city, but an important city. A city marked by two main things. Number one, they were proud Roman citizens. They were far from Rome, but it was a, land, it was a city settled by Roman uh, military heroes and veterans. And it was very much built around what Rome can provide for us and allegiance to the emperor and trust in the government for security. And along with that, it was a city right on a main road of the Roman Empire, which meant it was a place of business and trade and ambition and winning and getting your prosperity through ambitious hustle, selfish pursuit. And then the gospel had come there. So Paul is writing to Christians there who are wrestling with the battle Paul told Timothy about. Temptation on the inside of selfishness, of pride, temptation on the inside of worry, of whether I can really trust in Christ and not trust in Rome for my security whether I can really trust in Jesus as Lord instead of the emperor as the Lord and leader of my life, and problems on the outside. When Paul had been there, he got arrested and thrown in prison. And many of them are facing opposition and challenges. So that's their situation they're in. So as we read this book and not just the verse, we're going to work our way through it. Now, I encourage people on Facebook, I said, read Philippians. Some of you did, but let me give you a crash course on some of the verses you would have already read on your way to Philippians 4.13. So I'm going to do this pretty quickly. Chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everything that has happened to me. Well, what's happened to Paul since he last saw them? He got arrested for doing nothing wrong in Jerusalem, thrown in jail for two years, tried falsely and accused, not let go, put on a prison ship and sent to Rome. On the way, the ship wrecks. Are you kidding me? He finally gets another ship. They get over to Rome and he's now been shackled to a Roman soldier and can't leave the house. They don't provide him with food, don't provide him with medical care or clothing. Is he on the mountaintop? No! And that's what he's saying. That's where he's been. And continuing on, verse 21, or yeah, a little later in verse 27, he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. 
conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Citizens of heaven, remember that, where Jesus is king, not citizens of Rome, where the emperor is king. Your trust is somewhere else. For you have been given not only the privilege of, the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. All right. I don't know about you, but when I think of mountaintop experiences of my life, I don't always think about suffering and struggle up there. Those are down there somewhere, right? Paul says you had the privilege of trusting in Christ and at the same time suffering for him. I have the privilege of trusting in Christ and struggling right now. He goes on in chapter 2 and says this. As you're reading through, you would have ran to this passage. Don't be selfish. Uh Uh-oh, said the Philippian hustling business people there. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus our Lord had. It goes on in chapter 2, and we've read this passage here before, where it talks about, oh my goodness, Christ Jesus in the very nature of God did not use that to exploit and lord it over others, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And through humbling himself and serving, he was lifted up. Wow, that's not the way to the mountaintop, is it? Where is it? He goes on in chapter, um, later on in chapter 2, and Paul says this about his own life. I rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. He goes on in chapter 3 and says this. He, after talking about all the things that would give him a good reputation and get him up here in front of everybody at church. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I know the law better than everybody else. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees, and I've been at the top of the mountain. But all that stuff is worth nothing, he says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now they're worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Garbage, rubbish. It also means like a dog poop pile. That's what he says. It's like worthless. I don't want that. Wait a minute. So think about this. You're reading, you're thinking, wait, where in the world are we? Where in the story are we? What would this have meant? What are the readers learning about their lives? About what matters? About Christ and how valuable? What are they learning about Jesus? And what are they learning about all the things they've trusted in before? It continues on. And then chapter 4. Or sorry, 3, 13 and 14. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. At the best, life is ahead. It's eternal. And I'm seeking after that. Verse 17, he continues that idea and says, So brothers and sisters in Philippi and in Chuliota and Oviedo and East Orlando, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. We are citizens of heaven. Yes, we're citizens of Rome legally, but our hearts, they're citizens of heaven. And from it, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. 
And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Then you move on, chapter 4. We're almost there. And you're reading your way through, and it's day 4 that you're reading, and you're reading now chapter 4, and you to run into this. So, my friends, don't worry about anything. Easy for you to say, Paul. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So this is the life Paul has been talking about. This is the way he's been speaking about Christ, about the life of those who follow him. He says, listen, there is something that is more glorious than anything you can gain in this world. Everything else is worth nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. And there is a peace that Rome can never give you. No matter how much prosperity they give you, no, no matter how many soldiers they put around your city to make you feel really safe, no matter how much land they give you, the house they give you, they can never give you the kind of peace that is in Christ. The peace that is in Christ moves right inside of your very being and guards your heart and your mind, not just your house and your land. And it's better And after Paul says all of this, remember he's saying it, saying, I'm in a struggle. You are suffering as you trust in him. And so now we get to our verse of the day, 10 through 13. He says this, How I praise the Lord. You're concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now pick up here. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Say content. Say content. Yeah, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He continues on and says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Almost nothing, valley. With everything, mountaintops. I have learned the secret of living. The secret of having life in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach, mountaintops, or empty valleys, with plenty mountaintops, or little valleys. Paul, what's the secret of living in every situation you will ever face in life? Paul, what is it that makes you content and satisfied no matter what you face? And when you're struggling in a prison cell in Rome, or when we're getting uh, kicked out of our family community because we trust in Jesus, what is it? Christ. Christ. The one of infinite value to know. The one who gives you a peace that nothing else, if you had all the other stuff, it couldn't give you the peace he can give you. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. So what is he saying to the readers? So I'm journaling. Man, that verse. Wait a minute. What's he saying to the readers? He's saying, listen, this is not just a verse for your mountaintops, O Philippi. Because Christians in Philippi, to become a Christian might mean going to the valley. That when you follow Christ, you might get kicked out of your, your, your uh, union that you have at work, which is what they would have had at the time. You might get rejected by some of your family. You might get thrown in jail like I did when I was in your town. You might end up going lower in this life. But there is someone who goes right down there with you. And the one who goes with you when you get emptied of everything is the one who gives you everything you always need anyways. Because if you go to the mountaintops without Christ, you will be empty. But if you go to the deepest valley with him, you will be full. He says, Christ is all. 
And so, oh, well, what does that mean for us? Well, I can tell you this, that when you have a really bad day at work or you get emptied of a relationship, you get broken down and everything feels like it's just gone. And somebody drew all the, the, the plenty, it's gone. You feel hungry and empty inside. The, the height you were at, you crashed down. The relationship you were so satisfied in, it's gone. When all that is gone, there is a Christ who is with you. In any and every situation, He is a secret to being alive. He is the way to be content in all things, and He is the one of incomparable value that you have if you have Him. Christ is all. When we read the Bible, that's what it's designed to do for us. And now you won't have me preaching a sermon or someone else preaching a sermon when you read it. But the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in a way that helps you understand deeply what is here and helps us to be changed by it, that it changes my perspective of Him. It makes me want to worship. It makes me want to humble myself and bow down. It makes me want to obey Him. It makes me want to surrender my life. It makes me want to love my neighbor and forgive my coworker. It makes me change. But that happens when we treat it the way God designed it to be treated. Martin Luther said this, and we're coming to a close. Martin Luther said this about the Bible. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. It leads us into our response time. Because really, hey, we had a little class today, two classes. Thanks for riding it out with me. We're going to sing a worship song. But as we move into this time, really reading the Bible is about knowing Jesus. It's about worshiping Him. And what I love about this is Martin Luther says, you know what? When I read the Bible, I'm just surrendered. The Bible, it lays hold of me. It chases after me. It changes me. So really just, you want my heart? Here it is, God. Here it is, Lord. We come to the Bible that way. We come to the table that way as we go to communion. We come to the altars for prayer that way. We come into worship that way. We give our offerings that way. It's just, Lord, here I am. You're worthy and change me to make me more like you. So as we go into the song, I'm going to pray. And as I end praying, if you're new here, there's these different ways that we try to respond to God and worship at the end of our services. So there'll be a song we sing in worship, but along with that, after I pray, you can go. There's tables on both sides where you can receive communion to remember what Christ has done, to surrender ourselves to Him yet again. There's going to be elders in, uh, here at the, at the crosses to pray with you if you're carrying a burden. You just need someone to pray with you. And also, if, I know a lot of us give online, but you can also give um, if you want to via the baskets in the back during that time. Um, just time for us to say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord Jesus, you've given us your word. And Lord, I pray that what is true in Philippians will be true for us, that we would learn the secret of living in any and every situation. We would learn the way of contentment in every situation. We would learn to know you, the one of uncomparable value and the one who gives peace that nothing else can give. In Jesus' name, amen.